And the previous program was Economic Update with Professor Richard Wolf, heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online. It is now 7 p.m. Stay tuned for Off the Hook coming up. Stay tuned. بكم على شبكة موبايلكم إن الرقم المطلوب غير مستعمل يوجد تأكد من الرقم ثم حاول فيما بعد شكرا Welcome to موبايلكم The number you are calling is not in use Please check the number and try again later Thank you If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you need help, stay on the line and a hacker will assist you shortly. Good evening to everybody. The program is Off the Hook. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you on this Wednesday evening. Joined tonight by Kyle. Hi. And over in Skype land, we have Rob T. Firefly. Good evening. We have Gila. Good evening. And we have Alex. Good evening. Who apparently is in space. Um, All right, we have a special guest that's going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. But first... Some um, rather disturbing news that we're just uh, becoming aware of um, uh, involving our friends over at the Tesla Science Center out in Shoreham, Long Island. I'm going to read um, a notice that was sent out uh, earlier today. Uh, As uh, many of you are aware, our uh, beloved Tesla Science Center at Wardenclyffe Laboratory uh, was struck by a serious fire last night. While the fire is largely contained, occasional flare-ups occur. There was one today, in fact. Uh, local fire departments remain diligently on the site to manage these situations. Over 100 firefighters from 11 departments 
responded to the blaze, demonstrating extraordinary courage and determination throughout the night. Uh, to these heroes, we owe a debt of gratitude beyond words. We are immensely grateful for their commitment and bravery. Given the ongoing activity, uh, we strongly urge everyone to avoid visiting the site for your safety and to allow emergency services to, uh, to operate unimpeded. Uh, we promise to keep you informed through regular updates on our website and social media channels. Of course, we'll be keeping people updated on this radio program as well. Uh, the full extent of the damage is yet to be determined in the coming days. Our site engineer, <clears throat> uh, historical architect, and uh, structural engineer, along with Suffolk County Police Department, uh, the Brookhaven Town Fire Marshal, and the uh, county's Department of Fire, Rescue, and Emergency Services will conduct a thorough assessment. Uh, their insights will be crucial in shaping our ongoing plans to uh, restore and rebuild this historic landmark. Uh, it brings a sense of relief to share that the structural integrity of the building, uh, dating back to 1901, seems to have withstood the ordeal. Uh, this resilience is a testament to its original robust construction and durability, um, we recognize the profound emotional impact this incident has had on our community and on our supporters from around the world. Rest assured, our commitment to transparency remains steadfast. We'll provide accurate, timely information countering any misinformation that may arise. Uh, it is also important to note that while we were poised to begin a significant renovation and restoration project, construction had not yet commenced, sparing us from additional complexities at this stage. For ongoing updates and verified information, visit the website at www.teslasciencecenter.org. Your support and understanding in these challenging times are invaluable. Together, we will navigate this crisis and emerge stronger, honoring the legacy of Nikola Tesla and the spirit of innovation, determination, and re resiliency that this uh, center embodies. And you know, I just got to say personally, it's... Yeah, on the eve of Thanksgiving, to have such um, such a, a, a horrible thing happen uh, to uh, such an amazing uh, place that has uh, just been the focal point for um, uh, bringing people together, teaching about uh, Tesla, about technology, this real enthusiasm. And I, I know that is not going to die. It's just got a little bit harder. But, boy, uh, that was um, a, a gut punch I don't think any of us needed. I I feel the same way. The heart goes out to everyone there, and I know that the the site and uh, the project itself, uh, as far as restoration in the future, is in good hands. There are really dedicated people that care very much about uh, creating a, an institution and a educational and historic facility there. So this is, I think, all the more reason why restoring it and getting it um, as, as safe and uh, accessible and usable as possible is important. So, right, uh, Rob, go ahead. Yeah, the folks from uh, the Tesla Science Center have uh, always been so dedicated to what they're doing. They've communicated uh, with us for, um, you know, on many occasions. They've shown up at Hope. They've spoken at uh, multiple Hope conferences. Um, you might have seen them in the merchandise uh, area if you were there. Um, and they, they just, uh, it's what they're doing is so important and so wonderful and preserving such an important piece of local history and it is such a shame that uh, something like this would happen to them um, but again I have complete faith in uh, the the spirit behind it and the folks who work there and uh, yeah they they will they will rebuild that they will recover from this and uh, yeah throw them some support if you can because this is this is really just amazingly important and this uh 
keep checking that website for updates. Uh, we'll certainly have more about that um, next week. All right. Um, well, uh, last week, you might recall that we told the story of uh, Ron and Mary Knappen of uh, Galesville, Wisconsin, how they've been collecting antique phones for about 50 years or so. Um, they've had phones show up in movies, TV shows, and um, they're facing a challenge insofar as selling these things, getting rid of a lot of them because they really have piled up. I am um, happy to say we have on the phone with us right now Ron Knappen from um, from Funko. Uh, it's is um, Funko Inc. Uh, Ron, are you with us? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, welcome to Off the Hook. Um, tell us uh, how many how many phones would you estimate you have? Probably about fifty thousand. Fifty thousand phones. I thought I was well, a collector. It, it's hard to estimate because that's a mixture also along with a lot of parts like handsets, cases, just, you know, partial telephones. They're in 33 semi-trailers in our backyard in two, uh, three fairly good-sized farm buildings on our farm and, and three or four other buildings, one which is a four-story, 300-foot building. And... It, it's overwhelming, oh my but goodness. it's there. Uh, how many how many semis did you say? Thirty three old semi trailers that are uh, are pretty full. I mean, you can walk down through the middle, but we built shelving through the years so that all this stuff occupies. But there's like one semi trailer has about twelve hundred uh, oak uh, crank wall. Oh, telephones wow. with a cradle on the top. They're missing the handsets. Well, we've got the handsets, but it's a it's kind of a paper McGee's closet <laughs> of all sorts of things related to telephonies. To telephony. You know, there's the- one trailer that has probably around 800 to 1,000 walnut bell boxes that were there. Of the nomenclature would be Ericsson. They were used with the Ericsson candlestick phone out of mostly the British Islands, but they were spread out all over Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, going mostly as far as uh, Antwerp and thereabouts. And, of course, of course, um, uh, Scandinavia, because they're basically an Ericsson contrivance. I've got ones sitting on the kitchen table in front of me. Wow. You know, just the fact that you have 33 semi-trailers, that would be something that was impressive in and of itself. But the fact that they're filled with telephones and telephone equipment, that is just, uh, you know, it's it's overwhelming. It, it really is, is, is absolutely incredible. How did this get started? When did you begin uh, collecting telephones? Well, in 1942 or so, well, first of all, I am basically an adventuresome person into the past and have been fascinated by a lot of antiquity, mostly practical stuff that is more uh, not refined. And uh, so, but I, I, I was a dump picker in 1942 and going into the second grade. I don't remember too many phones then. I remember one phone in an empty building. 
And uh, then uh, in 1942 or 43, my neighbor introduced me to, I, it was a shed full of old wooden wall crank phones, the large ones. And I'm pretty sure they were probably Swedish-American because his dad was strictly Swedish by the name of Magnuson, and he ran Peoria Electric. And Peoria Electric in Peoria, Illinois, they even had their own nameplate <laughs> that they put on these old wooden wall phones. I don't know for sure how. I've seen one or a picture of one, but I don't think I have one. I would kind of like to have one just around as a keepsake, just like a, a poster I have of the, the county fairs here. Um, I sold a few, but I'm keeping one, and, and somebody wanted to buy it, and I said, well, you wait until I die. I want to enjoy just walking past it now and then and having it in my midst, M-I-D-S-T. Um, just the, the, have it around as an atmospheric thing because it, 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 it reminds me of my adventures into the past and, and discovering things and like an explorer. And, but Don Magnuson, uh, he showed me these phones in the shed and I don't know how, can't remember how many, there probably were 20 or 30 of them and they were the big ones. And they, and then when his dad, uh, got whiff of the wind about this, he, he confronted me and he said, you can have them for, I don't remember if it was $2 a piece or three, but who is I going into the second grade in grade school to have the money or, and a place to put them? My dad used his garage. I eventually kind of filled it up with stuff, uh, but, um, I, I, I didn't have the wherewiths and where how to engage in such a thing. Then, through the, through the high school years, I'm in 1950, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, I graduated. There, I would enjoy looking through the, the classified ads in popular mechanics. And, well, there was one thing that I always remember, and that was an advertisement for old telephones from Bob Prosser. Uh, I forget what he called his business, A&M Telephone Company or something, or just Telephone Company, Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, who ended up having a million telephones. He was featured in the Wall Street Journal uh, some years ago. Um, they called me <laughs> and were going to interview me. And I, I introduced them to, to Bob's estate, and there, that, that did it. <laughs> they, they went into the history of Bob Prosser, who had allegedly had a million phones, was in Ripley's, believe it or not, Guinea's Book of Records. But in the 1950s, he advertised in Popular Mechanics, and I don't know what other else magazines, like candlestick phones for five bucks a piece and things like that. And I, I would never have forgot that. And when I was in my career of actually teaching industrial arts in small high schools for 12 years, I, I bought one. And I bought it in around 1960, 
two or sixty somewhere in there, and I took put in my dad's basement. It was a what they called three hundred set. That would be about a nineteen forty, anywhere between nineteen forty uh-huh. and nineteen fifty three Western Electric. Uh before the five hundred set or the ordinary rotary dial plastic phone that Western Electric and IT&T. Right, these are the real heavy ones. The ones you could really hurt somebody with. Very heavy uh-huh. phones. The 1940 phones are, are very heavy in, um, in, 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 uh-huh. in weight. Yeah, they were. They were. They were. They first started out steel or zinc, and then they they went to bakelite, and then a mixture of bakelite and plastic, and then turned out to be fully plastic by the 1950s. But I put one in Dad's basement, and then the telephone company, they knew it, and that was a bell, and they confronted my dad uh, through a mail and said, uh, you have an illegal phone, and you'll be penalized at a dollar a month for having that illegal phone in your basement. Wow. So that went on. And then I never forgot about Bob Prosser and Turtle Lake. And then I I was I, I called an antique picker in the early 1960s, uh, and I had a a guy pop up in my house that we rented for 25 a month, and he was a telephone collector by the name of Bud Johnson from Galesburg, Illinois. And Bob he looked all through my antiques and looked for telephone items and bought them, and he told me. A few stories, which most of all the stories you hear from a lot of these old people are somewhat interesting because it's an adventure that they experienced and are relating to you. And I always enjoy sharing these with people, not not with uh, charitably. And so, but Bob, Bud told me he refinished old telephones and sold them for. I think it was 20 or 25 apiece. During the same time, uh, I learned of <clears throat> them taking the old wooden crank phones. They were oak, uh, as a rule. They were maybe about one walnut out of every 100 or 80 wood oak ones. <laughs> walnut was an earlier wood used in the telephones. It was plentiful until after the turn of the century, and walnut became scarcer, and so they started making stuff out of oak, including the telephones. But most of the telephones before 1900 were walnut. <laughs> the candlestick phones, of course, that's another story. But Bud offered to sell me his refinished oak crank phones for tw- I don't know 25 apiece, and I'd buy them, and they were beautiful, and I'd sell them for. Twenty-nine or thirty dollars, and it, it. Then I ran into a. Oh, he decided to sell his collection, and I. We were at his location in near Galesville, Illinois, uh, Galesburg, and uh, on during Christmas of 1971, and I called him up and I said, "But I'd like to buy some more of those nice phones you refinish," and. He said, I'm going to sell my collection. And I went over and I spent 
I think it was probably 250 bucks is all I had on those old phones, and they were they 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 weren't extremely rare, but they kind of got on the borderline of being a little rare, more rare than the common old kitchen phones that were common around the Midwest in the 1930s and 40s, and 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 I brought them home in a 56 Buick with the kids. I had three kids, and they rode on top of these phones in the back seat and the back floor all the way home the 250 miles or 280 mile, whatever it was, and with them ringing when we'd hit a bump and got home, and I was nervous because I spent all our money, and we had house payments, and I was on a, a low teacher's salary starting out at, at $4,100 a year, in 1961, I don't know what it was in 1971. It was probably more like 5,000, and so I was, and I had house payments. So uh, on a 4,200-dollar old house in Melrose, Wisconsin, and I was nervous about it. And I put an ad in the Antique Trader. I think it was a monthly magazine at that time, and the ad came out on January 6. Of 1972, and it was just dumbfounding. I was on the phone for about an hour every night for the whole week, taking calls from mostly collectors. One collector, I can't think of his name right at the moment, but um, we became friends with many collectors. And this one collector said, "I have kind of a weird hobby," and he acted like he was almost ashamed of it. And he collected telephones. Mm-hmm. And, but these people, all, I've got a picture here of Walt Adelot from New Jersey and Steve Hiltz from Saloma, Arizona, who have been friends like this since 1971 and, or, or 72. No, 72, yeah. Wow. And then this Bob Prosser in Turtle Lake, he, 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 and I knew where there were phones. There was a guy in Wittenberg, Wisconsin, that's eastern Wisconsin, not quite to Appleton, and south, uh, west of Green Bay a little ways. And this guy ran a telephone company there. He was 80 years old. And I went there and I bought a lot of old telephone stuff from him. And some of them, you know the little plastic mouthpiece that screws in to the front of a candlestick phone that yes. is funnel-shaped? Mm-hmm. Well, he had those in porcelain. And in and in the plastic or Bakelite ones he had, I think they were plastic. They were Bakelite from the 20s and 30s. And they he had green ones and red ones. <laughs> they were dark colored, oh. mixed with... Ron, can I, can I just break in for a second? What kind of phone are you using right now? I'm using, um, well, let's see. I'm put my glasses on so I can read it here. It's a called, it's a Panasonic Easyphone. It's convenient. I just press speakerphone to dial out and touch the, the pad, and, wow. and uh, it had to redial, but it went bad. And, uh-huh. 
It sounds it sounds pretty good. There's a slight hum, but I think that's on the phone line, and that's that's something that you get. Yeah, that's on the line. Yeah, uh, Kyle, you had a question. Go ahead. Oh, I had a couple. This was such a, a great conversation, but uh, there's such a, a heavy material that oak and walnut. And imagining you as a second grader, I mean, starting this adventure that you're on, but. Uh, just the logistics of, of finding a thing like a whole shed full of them. After that, was it mostly a string of happenstances through relationships, or did you find, like, more businesses, more offices, and maybe um, small telephone providers that were um, looking for a place for all this, or is it mostly those strings of happenstance? There were strings of happenstances, uh, starting with Bud Johnson, and then going to when uh, I discovered Bob Prosser 150 miles north of me here in Turtle Lake who claimed he had a million phones and was in Ripley's, believe it or not, in Guinea Book of Records. That's all gone. A lot of stuff is gone. And my stuff will be gone, too, in, in not too long of a time, I believe. Um, well, that, that, that's part of why we're talking to you, because um, uh, what, the reason why this is a news story is because you're trying to get rid of a lot of these funds. You're trying to sell uh, the, the majority of your collection. Has that, has that really been a challenge? In a way, it, it just sits here. It's not hurting anything. The only, you know... But there's uh, several buildings full. There's one building that's 300 feet long and four stories high. Oh my and God. we're having a hard time getting out of there. I've sold the building on a land contract, and I'll get the full payment, which is, you know, not modestly. It's a modest amount of money once we vacate the building. My wife, Mary, bless her heart, she spends every night until around 11 o'clock sorting parts out which she wants, she brings home in the trunk of her car. Um, but happen chance, yes. Um, they, these phones turned up in strange ways and unexpected. Um, there was a, a, a junkyard in Oregon, Illinois, which is not far from Dixon where Reagan grew up, uh, Illinois, and 80 miles, uh, might be about 60 miles west of Chicago, Oregon junkyard, and he had box cars. And Bud went there one time to to, in, to investigate and explore his box cars. And the junkyard owner sent him out there. And when Bud got out to the box cars, he was uh, greeted by junkyard dogs, oh boy. real dogs that were fairly aggressive mm -hmm. and scared the heck out of him. He never went back there again. They, I guess the trailers were full of mostly ringer boxes, the little boxes you crank uh, that are attached to a candlestick or a non-dial payphone because, uh, not payphone, well, yes, those do, but to a, to a phone that didn't have a dial before dial, of course, and so you'd crank that box. I used one in the 1950s when I was going to college on the GI Bill, and I called a, a girl on it, and it was it was a small payphone, and it had the ringer box uh, connected to it. So you you ring that, and you'd get the operator, and she'd say, uh, "What number, please?" And so 
I guess I had the number in my pocket. I don't remember. It was around 1957, and I was going to college on the GI Bill up hey, here uh, in Wisconsin. Ron, I, I just had a question then. For um, the sake of uh, conversation, since you are you are asking for help with the the phones, and you, if you were able to do like uh, some kind of uh, a fire sale or something, would you have enough help to keep up? Because it's it's they're heavy items, and then it sounds like a lot of them. Even in the best scenario, um, like what would your you say the ideal um, uh, solution for you? Would be, and would you have enough enough extra hands to to package stuff or or to yeah. to help direct it, assuming it yeah. everything found a home? Yep. The the thing is, is that um, if 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 uh, I just discussed, we had a call today. Uh, it was only about two and a half hours ago, two hours from uh, a fellow in a large city who had the ways and means to buy us completely out in one swipe, S-W-I-P-E. And it would take about, oh, close to $200,000. And he could come and take what he wanted. And, yes, we have several people here that are employed that would help carry these things or put them on an elevator, excavator, or whatever you call it, Mm -hmm. a conveyor. Yeah, that's what it is that we put them up into the barn attic with, and they, he would probably take all those phones because we spent, um, the we had people working for us all through the 70s and 80s and 90s who were very proficient in restoring these plastic and Bakelite phones from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and they're beautiful, and they're, they're wrapped up in plastic, and they've put a lot of time, and nowadays, forget it. Spending, what, 30 bucks an hour to, for employees to do this type of stuff? Mm-hmm. They're there. And whoever bought this stuff, I don't care if it was 200000 or what it would be, they just take what they wanted <laughs> and leave the rest. That probably wouldn't take much out of the trailers. I, What I fear is that they wouldn't take the walnut ringer boxes. They're beautiful when they're refinished, and you can make something else out of them. You don't have to keep them as a bell box. They've got two bells at the top, and many times since they're Ericsson out of, uh, actually, the British Island, probably made in Coventry, England, uh, in the um, Peel Connor telephone works during uh, right before the Second World War, the, the company was... Uh, manufacturing plant was blown up during the war and then they ended up with a lot of surplus and these walnut ringer boxes apparently survived and maybe some of them came out of Antwerp I'm not totally sure but they're beautiful when you refinish those that's solid genuine walnut wood Mm -hmm. and they are just outstanding. Well, I, I'm convinced, Ron, I'm convinced that many of our listeners would be very interested in, in getting their hands on some of those. What would be the best way for them to start that process? Uh, the, 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 one of the things that I would emphasize would be to get a hold of, uh, uh, not that I'm trained to solicit sales or promote sales. I would, I would like, I would enjoy 
the charitable of being able to share what I know about this stuff. I like to share stuff like that. And I, I approach it from a chronological, uh, historical telephony uh, correspondence type thing. But I did a, I've done a number of books on telephone history, and I would encourage people to get a hold of them. Um, they're $30 a piece for CD or flash drive. And all you have to do is give us a call, and we'll be glad to sell them <laughs> to you. Um, uh, and, and I'll be glad to announce my phone call to anybody who wants to hear it. <laughs> okay, well, we'll give, okay. Out, we'll give out the website and, and the phone number in just a bit. Rob, I think you had a question? Uh, yeah, um, Ron, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, I know all of us on this program are so interested in the vintage uh, telephone stuff that you're so you're into. In and uh, we... we... Hear you. Uh, okay, I'll, okay, I'll try to turn him up a little bit. Try to... Okay, um, uh, Ron, it's uh, so great to hear from you tonight. And uh, I know so much, so much of us are fascinated by what you're talking about. And we got uh, wind of your story from a great uh, write-up you had recently in the Wisconsin State Journal. And um, it mentions another thing that you have done is supply phones to, like, film and television productions and things like that. Because, of course, they need old phones if they take place in the past. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, what that's like? Did, did did you just ask me about the movies, movies and and our phones appearing them? Uh, it sounded like that. Yes, yes. About? That's what he did. Okay. Um, in in our phone call building, we call it a building that we operated out of, starting in 1980, I guess you might say, um, and are still occupying or doing business out of that large building in Galesville, small town near La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, there are pictures along the wall of movies in which our phones appeared in. Um, I, I can conference call Mary, and she has a better recollection naming these movies. You've all seen them, and you've seen our phones in there but you weren't aware that that's where they came from. <laughs> but uh, I can I can conference call. Yeah, but by all, we, we love to hear the conference system at work, but definitely bring Mary in, your, your wife, who is uh, also part of this business. Uh, we'd oh, love God. to hear her perspective. Okay, Ron is making a conference call now inside his, his um, complex of 50,000 phones. Out there in Wisconsin, and wow. ringing there now. I hear it. I hear it. And I assume she'll answer. She was in the office a while ago, but it's hard to tell. Well, just uh, let her know she's on the radio when she picks up. That's, that's <laughs> very important. <laughs> Hello, Mary. I'm listening to you. You are. Mm. Okay, Mary. Um, tell us, please, what movies. You remember them, and they're right there down there, downstairs, where you're at in the building. Tell us what movies our phones appeared in that we engaged them in. Well, the early ones were um, Eight Men Out and um, Five Green Tomatoes. Um, but uh, we also did, oh, geez, lots of them, J. Edgar Hoover, um, Men in Black, X-Men, wow. Mammoth. Um, 
I know all kinds of them. JFK. Um, That's Mad Wow. Charlie's Angels. <laughs> now, oh, recently. What's the one? Well, most recent, Mary. Oh, I can't remember the most recent one. Saturday Night Live. We put on. We've uh, supplied a few phones for them. Oh, that's great. Do they? Yeah, do they? Advertising companies. Do they keep the phones or do they send them back? No, they keep them. Okay. Wow. That is incredible. Uh, Mary, let me Another ask you, cool. have, have you had the same interest in phones as, as Ron? Were you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious how that developed. I don't know. I guess I've stuck to with it, and I've, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. He wants to keep running the business, and that's okay. Chicago. We were in Chicago. Um, movie. Uh-huh. Catch me if you can. Wow. Um, she enjoys. Just reading the, off the, the list here. Field of Dreams. Yeah, all kinds of movies. It's such years. a critical role, and I hope you I hope you know that um, as lovers of film ourselves, and I'm I'm sure I can speak for many other people that getting it right and, and having the real device in a story just sets the scene, especially for people who are fans of telephones, knowing when they might appear, and it, it really does lend some of that. Um, it's just like any other costume or set dressing. It's so important to stories we're telling nowadays. Do they do they know what they want when they ask for a phone, or do you have to guide them to the right kind for the era? No, they usually know, <clears throat> and they they give us a, a lot of times. They'll send us a picture. Okay. What they have in mind. That is so interesting. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Yeah, we we sold a lot of um, multi-line phones. Uh-huh. Two, from um, like key business phones, key system or one A two and yeah. Now, uh, Mary, we're going to ask you the same question we asked Ron. What kind of phone are you using right now? <laughs> Panasonic. <laughs> you guys like Panasonic? Well, they were practic. They're they're one of the last ones that held up okay. Uh-huh. You know, for a while the phones coming out of uh, Taiwan were pretty junky and. You couldn't fix them hardly either, but in the last 30 years or more, they have been pretty substantial, and they'll last a long time. Mm-hmm. Our son had a dealership and was selling them, <clears throat> so we got one. Got you know, and our business had this phone. We can um, do um, extensions and multi lines and so on. That's great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So now, let me just ask you guys: uh, Is there a favorite era of tele- uh, telephones that you can point to and say this is when phones were at their peak? This is when they were really, really good. You mean from a historical, uh, antique, and selling adventure, or, or just uh, in a general sphere? Uh, generally, just as as a phone that you would use, you know, voice quality and, and durability. Like what, what? What do you think has lasted the best? Well, the the five hundred set was <laughs> that was really the that had a twenty year lifespan when it was new mm-hmm. back in the eighties, early eighties, seventies. Twenty year lifespan, they they just never would give out. I mean, as t- everything that ages suffers from uh, certain things about the age, including the human body. But the telephones, they'll absorb uh, corrosion of different types. Uh, they call it, what do you call it when you get a contact points 
that become corroded, I guess, corrosion. And it, and it doesn't have to be because it's in a, uh, an atmosphere that's subject to corrosion. It can just be old age. I mean, nothing much you can do about it. It just happens. It's like the body. And so, but the 500 set was the, then you get into the 2500 set. There you get into a challenge with the touch tone dial. And, and there, there are weaknesses that are inherent in a touch tone dial that aren't in a rotary. A rotary dial, they started making those in 1921 or 22 and, well, earlier, but really got off the start big in 22. And Ericsson, all their parts in a dial were made on a, by machine. They weren't stamped out like automatic electrics were, but the dial, the touchstone dial, offered some challenge in uh, uh, working, but they were pretty good. Western Electric wasn't the only name. Northern Electric, uh, which is a twin to Western out of Canada, and then, of course, IT&T and Stromberg Carlson, those people almost, I think they copied Western Electric, <laughs> and so they were identical, and parts would interchange. But the touchstone dial, that touchstone dial, American-made, was really great. Now, I'm not, I'm not running the the foreign ones down right now. The <laughs> the Panasonic, I'm, I don't know if I've ever had a Panasonic touchstone dial go bad on us. And we've used them for, wouldn't you say, 20 years, Mary? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's great. That's great to have something last that long. And I have to say, you know, we use 500 sets around here, too, because they just sound so good. They're solid. And it doesn't make a difference if somebody calls you on the phone and you're speaking to them on a rotary dial phone, as long as it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the nice all... thing about the older phones, too, is you can replace the parts, <clears throat> like your transmitter and receiver, if they go bad. You know, yeah, you just unscrew a cap on the handset and pop it out and pop another one in. It's a great way to teach people how phones work. Uh, take it apart, put it back together, see how it all operates, because the theory is pretty much the same. It's just yep. with today's modern equipment, you can't do anything with it, so you don't <laughs> learn how it actually works. Yeah, and the people that were work we're fixing the electronic phones. They've disappeared, haven't they, Mary? Yeah. yeah. We used to send people to them because we we were it, it was beyond us to fix most all the electronic phones that were made in the last twenty years or so. So we'd send them to certain specialists, but I don't think they're around anymore. A lot of this stuff is is gone, G-O-N-E. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us are experiencing, uh, and unless you have the tooling and uh, microscopes and stuff, it, it can be incredibly difficult. And many of the repair shops can't create much of a business model around it because the, the costs for a lot of the products are so low that the amount of labor hours to do component level soldering for different types of chips and fuses and, and uh, yeah, pieces on the board. The labor, yeah, yeah, the labor cost now is uh, is is very, uh, extremely difficult. Sure, and there's sure. not a good way to 
streamline the procedures on these things to make them cost-effective at all. It's not like McDonald's. No, no, it's not. Uh, Ron, let me ask you, have uh, you ever been to a, a telephone museum, and have they uh, taken notice of what, what you guys are doing? We've got one. <laughs> well, yes, you you live in one, that's true. But they, they're, they're, there's one in Seattle, there's one out here in uh, Long Island. They're, they're all over the place, run by telephone pioneers usually. Well, we created one in, a, in our building, and it's still there, and there's pictures of it um, in that article that the people from the Wisconsin State Journal did, um, just like an aisle where I'm standing at the end of it. And there's a, you know, how many phones you think's in there, Mary? About 80 or 100? Oh, probably no more than that, probably. 150 to 100? But, uh, there, um, including the Eric, the Ericsson Eiffel Tower, which was 1892, and with an iron curving legs and the pinstriping and all that stuff that's in there there i think there's three or four examples all the stuff's for sale because we want to move out of the building we sold the building <laughs> on a land contract and when we vacate it we get the full amount for the building and then we can live happily ever after in Mayberry or Dreamland. <laughs> well, Bell used to have a big uh, telephone museum in Chicago, Ron. Remember? We yeah, but the uh, top story of the Bell Telephone Building, I put, I drove in there. You go down through a door in the basement, and there's a turnstile, and it'll turn you around, park your truck or whatever. I look, I had an old, big old suburban, and uh, then you take the elevator up to the top floor. And there was a regular museum up there. And Bell employees would donate, you know, when they retired or died. Uh, the, the people left over would give their phones to the museum. I went there and bought duplicates from the curator. Yeah, that was a nice museum. But it, when, for some reason, they discontinued it, but all the surplus and all the phones went to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, which is sizable itself. And I haven't been back there to see that. Wow. You know, uh, one thing that, that uh, you said uh, about the old phone from the 1800s uh, leads me to ask, um, what is the oldest phone that you have and the oldest operating phone? Well, Mary, you helped me a little bit, but I think there's probably an 18... There's, of course, duplicate reproductions of Bell's invention. The What do you call some of those, Mary? Help me. <clears throat> well, the camera phone, the gallows phone. The... Yeah, those are repros. Yeah. But there's a few that go back into the 1880s, I think. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I can associate them or not. Can you? But then... Well, the two-box phones, you know. The, the three-box phones, yeah. really. But they could only go back to the 1880s or even 1890s, Mary. I don't know as we have any that really go back into the early 1980s or 1880s or the late 1870s. Um, wow. I, I, we have some fragments or parts, partial ones maybe, but I, I don't. I, they probably go back to 1878 or something, those partial ones but nothing that there's 
a minimum. How many collectors, Mary? Four hundred that belong to the two main telephone collectors club. Yeah, one time there was close to four thousand. Were there? Yeah, I don't know how many there are today. There's, oh, it's dwindled. Yeah. The interest is is diminished, and then mostly well, of us are. A lot of them have died off too. Yeah, and most of us left are you know in their in our seventies or eighties, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, and we 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 keep dying, <laughs> oh, and, but there's uh, the, 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 some a lot of those collectors have these phones that go back into the the, the 1870s and 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 some of them specialize in some pretty weird stuff. Uh, John Dresser's one of the names. Um, he's from out west somewhere, and. He's very active, and Tom Adams, he lives right out there on the eastern part of the country. He's fairly famous with the collectors and a very, very uh, sharing uh, charitably with his goings-on with restoring these old telephones. Very interesting. Have you found that there's uh, uh, much interest in younger people in uh, collecting old phones? No. Really? No. There was a, a, a kid, high school kid. How old was he, Mary? Fifteen? And he killed himself? Mm-hmm. He, 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 had, he had some special uh, things about him that were, um, were mishaps about his his nature and um he was bothered by kids in school or something and so I, but he <laughs> i wow. sat with him at a telephone collectors club uh get together uh 3 or 4 years ago we won the smitty award which is an award for uh sharing our interests with people whoever would inquire and so we were awarded with that as a plaque that we'll have hanging from the wall in our office when we get out here to the barn again. Uh-huh. And it, um, he sat next to us when we were at that telephone collector's show. There's usually one main big telephone collector's show every year. And then there's another one <laughs> um, that is competitive with it. Um, so there's two collector clubs, and uh, one's ATCA and the other's TCI, and they're almost competitive. The TCI is, well, it reminds me of the Amis over in, in Pakistan. They're competitive <laughs> um, for some reason. I don't know why. And so there's rivalry. Well, uh, some of the uh, collectors... Um Sons and grandkids are also interested in phones. So there's a few there. Yeah, there's a few younger I, ones. In our, in our community, we come across a lot of people who are interested in old technology of various sorts, vintage computers or old telephones. So they're definitely out there, and hopefully we can help you connect with them. But right now I want to give out your information because we're coming up to the last uh, couple of minutes of the show, which is incredible. We could talk for hours about this. Uh, the, yes. web, the website is www.phonecoinc.com. That's spelled P-H-O-N-E-C-O-I-N-C dot C-O-M. And I don't think there's a dot after www, is there, Mary? Yeah, there is a yeah, dot. www.phonecoinc.com. And um, uh, it's okay to give out the uh, the phone number that's on the website. Of course. It's 608. Uh, go ahead. 582. 
Well, 4124 is the business number. Okay. 2263 is at home, but that'd be after 9 in the morning. I don't get up till after 9. Mm-hmm. I'm so, 80, going on 88 years old. And that I, is incredible, and, and uh, you, you sound as young as ever. And uh, I think I well, think they the, say I look that way, but I don't feel <laughs> that way. I think the phones the phones have a magic property to them. So uh, I, I think that's something that uh, you're, you're gifted yeah. with. Uh, we only have uh, uh, one minute left, so is there any uh, closing remark that either you or Mary would like to give to our audience? I would welcome any calls with questions or interest in antique telephones or the subject of that of any type. I, I did up a, a, some a promotion material on the Ericsson Eiffel Tower. I mean, uh, help me, Mary, the Erica phone which was a 1955 Ericsson. I'm running out of time. I'll, I'll bug off. <laughs> Just today I did that promotion material to go into a telephone collector's newsletter, and it's, it's historical. I don't... I, I, I mix it. Um, they're available, and I'm not trying to make a funny on this stuff so much as I am just offering to get rid of it and, and, and we, we supply parts like uh, mouthpieces that are broken or missing and cranks and mm-hmm. cords and receivers and stuff like that so send a catalog and our catalog we'll be glad to send it out to anybody that inquires about it yeah i'm gonna go through and see if i uh, have a parts list of uh, some extra things i want to have around for for some of our phones so i'm sure other people will do the same definitely ron and mary knappen of uh, galesville wisconsin it's been a pleasure that talking to you this last hour and i'm sure we'll have more conversations in the future about telephones and and collecting and all sorts of things like that we wish you the best You're welcome of luck. Man. We'll, we'll be uh, we'll be in touch we'll be uh, definitely thank you right. thank you for giving having the privilege and the pleasure of sharing with you, and I wish you well. Thank, happy Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. So Take long. care. Wow, that was uh, that was pretty awesome. And uh, we are out of time. Oth at twenty six hundred dot com is our email address. Please write to us uh, with any questions or comments. And uh, stay tuned. Coming up in a couple of minutes on YouTube, we'll be on overtime. Check the link at twenty six hundred dot com, or simply go to channel twenty six hundred on YouTube. See you next week. I called to her, I got the busy tone. She left me on board right from the start. All I need is a direct line to get right to her heart. Hello, operator, I want you to be mine. Please pocket all your love and put me on the line. I'm just a dumb and lonely, lost and famous home. Dial directly to my heart and feel me for the call.
This is Ralph Pointer. Join me and others every Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time on WBAI 99.5 on your radio now. It would appear the human movement is such that at any moment in history, there are too few that understand possibilities of existence that would benefit all who inhabit this planet and are willing to act on this understanding. This program will feature that few. What are your views on these issues that impact your life today? What are your views on America today? What are your views on America's future? Can we talk? Call in 212-209-2877. Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. on WBAI 99.5 on your radio dial. 